Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Uh, let me say a couple of things about the podcast here. First of all, um, I have mentioned in the past that this podcast is designed to be um, an addendum to the instructional materials that I have. And I like to think of it like if I had a student coming for lessons and I was teaching them how to play old Joe Clark, I would from time to time just think of something else that I ought to tell the kid or tell the guy or whatever and launch into this story about, you know, hey, you you really ought to go to a bluegrass festival. And I might, you know, eat up 15 minutes of their lesson time giving them a little sermon on that particular topic. And, you know... Maybe they're thinking, hey, I'm, I'm paying you, you know, 20 bucks a half hour and you're telling me I ought to go to a festival. But you know what? The, the truth is sometimes that sort of advice is more valuable than me saying, okay, put your second finger on the fourth fret and play the second string with a downstroke. You know, you have to uh, think about this podcast. Well, I hope you think about this podcast the way I think about it. The podcast is intended to be all those other things, those experiences, those thoughts, ideas, concepts, which you are free to completely ignore. Those things that cannot be packaged and sold. And I've told you that before in earlier podcasts. If I tried to sell an episode, you know, with just old stories and, you know, advice and tips and, you know, people aren't going to pay for that kind of thing. And I am trying to feed myself and my family. So I separated this out and I said, you know, rather than clutter up my instructional material with all that nonsense, I'll just put all the nonsense into a podcast and maybe it will be informative and also hopefully a little bit entertaining. All right. So that's my basic concept. And I don't charge for the podcast, so, hey, you know, if you don't like a particular episode, that's okay with me. It doesn't bother me. All right. Now, today's topic and why I am so hesitant hesitant to even discuss this. I get these ideas in my head sometimes. I start thinking, you know, a concept or a thought comes in my mind, and I think, huh. That's interesting. And perhaps due to a personality flaw, I tend to think about that idea for a long time. And I write notes and I I rattle this thing around in my head for a long time and flesh it out, as it were, into a try to make sense of it. And one of the ideas that I had many, many years ago... There was a bluegrass pickin' barn. If you don't know what a bluegrass pickin' barn is, at least down here in the southeast, the pickin' barn is kind of a a fairly common thing, and it's not always bluegrass. Sometimes it's bluegrass slash gospel, or sometimes it's country, but it's generally kind of in that in that way. And what a pickin' barn is, if you've never been to one, is and, and 
this is a, there's a lot of opinion going to come out in this episode. So if you disagree with this definition of what a pick and barn is, you know, you're entitled to your own opinions, but a pick and barn to me is, is a, it's generally a weekly picking or show combination jam session put on by somebody who just is not getting enough bluegrass. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with bluegrass, even though there are other types of picking barns. Let's just talk about bluegrass picking barns. This thing is started up by a person who is just not getting enough bluegrass in his life. Maybe he's played in some bands, gone to some festivals. And 20 years later, he looks out in the back and he sees that barn that's not being used for anything anymore. They used to keep the mules in there, but it's just sitting there. And he thinks to himself, maybe I should start up a picking barn. I'll take the PA and build a little stage, put up some lights. We can have coffee and cookies and we'll have a jam session. I'll spread the word around, get some people to come have a jam session. Of course, there won't be any money for the bands. We might take up a collection and give a love offering or a donation. Anyway, these picking barns have popped up all over the place. I have to tell you that I've thought about doing it myself. I look out at our old barn. It was an old mule barn. And I have many times walked out there and looked around and thought, if I got me a roll-off dumpster and threw all this junk in there and cleaned this place out, maybe put down some wood chips and built a little stage over there, fixed these lights, um, man, we could, this, this could be a pretty cool little thing. And every Saturday night, we'll have a picking out here. And then our band can get up and play, and whoever comes, we can jam. I'd probably have to build a couple of outhouses or get me some Board of Johns or, you know. It's, but it's something I've thought about a lot. Now, why in the world would somebody want to do this? And these, these are dotted all over the countryside. The Pick and Barn. I've been to a many of them. But I want to tell you, now we're going to turn away from what a Pick and Barn is into the topic for today that's been rattling around in my head for so long probably 20 years ago there was a i was living in griffin georgia and there was a picking barn about i don't know 10 12 miles away and i'm not going to identify these specific picking barns because there are there are a couple around i just want to talk freely without you know pointing any fingers at anybody in particular well, this picking barn, a lot of times I would be busy on the weekends. On Saturday night, Cedar Hill would have a gig, and I couldn't go very often. But every now and then I'd be sitting at home on a Saturday and have no gig and think, eh, I'll just ride down to the picking barn. And I'd go down there and I'd see a few people I knew and jam and go inside and listen to the bands. And generally speaking, the quality of the music was not all that great, although there would be sometimes some surprises but it you know it wasn't like going to merle fest or something like that it wasn't but everybody was having a great time and sometimes the you know the purveyor of the pick and barn would ask us hey it sure would be great if you guys would come down and play some saturday night at the pick and barn well, we didn't want to take up 
a, a perfectly saleable Saturday night and commit ourselves to a freebie at a picking barn, even though we probably could sell a few CDs and it would be fun. I know we'd have fun if we went there, but we would tend to beg off and beg off and beg off. But our policy was, well, I don't know. They keep calling. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Maybe once a year, we'll go down there and we'll play at the picking barn. And there were three or four picking barns around Atlanta that would sometimes ask us that. And, you know, it was a, it was the kind of thing we just did once in a while, kind of out of that sense of obligation. You know, we always had a great time. The crowd, all 20 of them would just have the time of their life. And I felt like it was helping the pick and barn and it was helping us a little bit. And anyway, we would do this thing periodically. Well, one time we go down to the pick and barn and, uh, I'm talking to some folks and they're talking about, well, you know, they've started another pick and barn down the road. Oh, really? Yeah. Just a, just a couple of miles, maybe three miles, three, four miles down the, the very same road, there was a new pick and barn. And uh, the story that I was told was that some of the folks that were coming to the one pick and barn weren't too happy with the way it was being operated and run, felt like it could be done better and whatever. So they started their own. And we went down there and, and played and I heard that tale of the two pick and barns. And on the way back home, I was talking to the guys and I said, you know, this is, this reminds me of little churches and sometimes big churches, how sometimes there'll be a rift in the congregation. You know, these people don't like the preacher and these people do. And next thing you know, the church has split and they, the, this little group has gone off and started their own church. And so I began to refer to these two picking barns, just like when we're talking about it at practice and stuff like that, whenever it'd come up. I would call the, the original one the first church of bluegrass and the new one second church of bluegrass. I didn't go too deep into this theory, but it just reminded me of how churches sometimes will split off and form their own thing. Hey, you know, Martin Luther did it way back. Uh, it's not a new idea. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that idea that if if you're not too happy and you've you've given it a fair shake, you know, and you feel like things ought to be different. Hey, go start your own thing. You know, I'm cool with that. Like, if, for example, if you don't like this podcast, hey, you know, go start your own podcast. I'm sure yours will be better than mine. Anyway, I, I've had this idea of this comparison of bluegrass to religion. Just, you know, like, like, like a pinball just kind of rattling around in my head all these years. And sometimes, you know, a light bulb would go off and I would think of something new. Well, the other day I was thinking about all this and this vision came to my mind of, you know, the old Da Vinci painting of the Lord's supper, you know, the long table and the 12 disciples and Jesus in the middle. And I was just thinking about that painting and that, you know, they talk about what a masterful painting it is and how they, you know, it's been analyzed to death. And I was just thinking if I were to paint a sort of a parody of that painting and I could make it like the bluegrass Lord's supper. Now let me just stop right here. 
Because I'm getting into religion, and I generally, my rule is not to talk about religion and politics, because these are very personal subjects, and let me just make this disclaimer. This is just a uh, mind excursion. What I'm telling you is not meant in any way to question your belief system or cause you to question your belief system or in any way disparage your religious beliefs, okay? This is just, I do these little mind games, I guess, you know? To me, it was just fun to think about, huh, First Church of Bluegrass, Second Church of Bluegrass, what if that really was a church? And so I just started going, you know, crazy thinking about this stuff and coming up with all these ideas. You are entitled to your own religious beliefs, as am I, and... In no way am I suggesting that you should, like, quit your church and join the Church of Bluegrass. But I am saying that there are religious, um, what a religion is, is in some ways, I have discovered, similar to bluegrass. And it's not just bluegrass. We could be talking about stock car racing. We could be talking about... Um, old hot rod collecting, we could be talking. I mean, you almost can pick, uh, I, we saw this movie the other day on, uh, Darlene pulled some movie up on Amazon. We watched this thing called chicken people and it's people that were really heavily, seriously into show chickens. And I watched this thing and I, I was like, this is almost borderline on mental illness <laughs> with some of these people. But they would think the same thing about me. You've heard my son's little intro where he says, my dad, all he thinks about is bluegrass, bluegrass, bluegrass. You've heard that thing. And those chicken people would probably look at me and think, God, what is wrong with that guy? I swear, all he thinks about is bluegrass. And I would say, well, all you think about are, are your chickens. Anyway, what I'm getting at is, the religious fervor that people have for their various interests is to me, well, well, I've been trying to figure out now, why is this so? Why are people religiously, and I'm putting, every time I say religiously, I'm putting it in air quotes. Why do people have almost a religious fervor, belief, in in certain things that you know used to be hobbies you know um and here's my little theory my theory is that well before i get to my theory let me go back to the painting the da vinci the lord's supper one time we played a little um a little i don't know like sunday afternoon this this restaurant and they had family style all you can eat vegetables and you sat at a table with 12 people and they had a big lazy susan and they brought out the old country vegetables and and they had to ask us to come down and play and i remember we played this was pony express and i probably have a picture of this and we got up and played for an hour or so and then they fed us and that was the gig well, they had a piano sitting against the back wall, a little spin it upright. And it had draped over it like a blanket or you know, more like a tapestry of the Lord's Supper was like covering the back of the piano. It was 
very touching and inspiring to stand in front of the Lord's Supper. Um, I don't know. It reminded me of one of those, um, one of those paintings on velvet type thing. Anyway, I thought about that painting a lot and I thought, what if, how much would I be criticized if I did a painting where I took out those characters and I inserted the, uh, the Messiah of bluegrass uh, surrounded by his disciples. And of course I would put Bill Monroe right there in the middle of my painting flawed human character that he is put Bill Monroe. And I thought, now who would be the 12 disciples? And I have to say I was, it was a tough decision, but I thought they all have to be bluegrass boys or former bluegrass boys. Uh, because the 12 disciples all personally knew Jesus. So I, I'm just going to give you, here's my 12 disciples over on the left. If you look at my painting, which I haven't painted and I never will. Way over on the left is Butch Robbins, the banjo player. Then we have Jimmy Martin. Next to him is Bill Keith. Next to him is Don Reno. Next to him is the fiddler, Chubby Wise. And next to him, on Bill Monroe's right side, is Earl Scruggs. Then on Bill Monroe's left, we see Lester Flatt. And beside him, Howard Watts. Had to include him. He was in the so-called original bluegrass band. Bass player. Next to him, Sonny Osborne. Then we have Peter Rowan. Del McCurry and Kenny Baker. So this is like my little, like I woke up and I had a dream of what if the Lord's Supper painting was a bluegrass painting? Well, that's who I would put in there. And I just began to play around with this idea. And it got me thinking about, you know, what does it take to be a religion? And I think that in some ways, bluegrass has many of the earmarks of a religion. And just like any other, any real religion, there are people that believe in it hundred percent. And there are people that, ah, eh, they go to church, but you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. They go the, uh, you know, Christmas and Easter, or if somebody says uh, things like I'm a recovering Catholic and I mean, you've heard all this stuff. It's quite common knowledge that not, Everybody sitting in a church pew on Sunday is a dyed-in-the-wool, full-blown believer. But but there are those, too. And I think that's true in bluegrass, too. You've got some dyed-in-the-wool, just absolute... Um, uh, the word is escaping me. Zealot. That's the word. It probably took me a while to get to it because it was started with Z and I file everything in my head alphabetically. The bluegrass zealot. I may be down toward that end of the scale. I don't think I'm all the way. Um, there are, there are, and have been bluegrass zealots, but then at the other end of the scale, you got the, Hey man, it's all good bluegrass bunch. And you know, I'm also learning to play the pedal steel and, uh, you know what I mean? There's everything in bluegrass, just like there's everything in a lot of the churches out there. 
But so what does it take to have a have a religion? Just imagine in this fantasy world, imagine maybe an alien coming on an exploratory mission to see what these earthlings are up to. And on the way there, he's reading and he's reading about uh, various cultural traits and so on. And he's reading about religions and religions typically have this and that. And he wants to come down and observe this. And he hovers his craft over a bluegrass festival. And he looks down with, with his scanning beam. And I'm just saying he's probably going to see most of the traits of a religion. And he might think this is a religious gathering. I mean, bluegrass has all the things. We have the, I've already mentioned, the uh, the central messianic figure who goes through the trials, who has the demons, who experiences miracles. Uh, the trials might be, for example, uh, if we're talking about Bill Monroe, the trials would be, you know, perhaps the the death of Ed Mayfield, one of his guitarists, that had a huge effect on Bill Monroe personally. There was the auctioning of his farm, and all this stuff is out of order. Um, divorce, uh, his car crash, um, miracles, like the restoration of his famous F5 mandolin. I mean, if you don't believe in miracles, after you saw that thing put back together, you'd have to say that was pretty close to a miracle. It may not be a full-blown religious miracle, but it's it's it was pretty miraculous. You know, as a sometimes there have even been some people that have ascribed almost supernatural powers or characteristics to Bill Monroe. Some of his most devout followers felt like he was somewhat of a mystic. He was also human. And that goes to that, the Jesus story of, you know, a deity and human both, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Bill Monroe is Jesus. Okay. But, but you can make this comparison and then this religious movement called bluegrass rose up around this central figure and the subsequent teachings and spreading of bluegrass by his disciples. And if you go back and listen to my list, those people fanned out and spread the gospel of bluegrass. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this when I saw Del McCurry play last week, he was a bluegrass boy, you know, that makes him a disciple and he's spreading it to the audience. He's sort of a bluegrass evangelist, you might say. So, you know, what do you have to have to have a religion? And I'm saying that bluegrass has a lot of those things. It's got that, that first generation of, uh, hardcore believers. And then it has the second generation of followers, you know, people like Sam Bush, Tony Rice, JD Crow, David Grisman, Ricky Skaggs, Bobby Osborne, uh, Stanley Brothers, Jim and Jesse, you know, that's the, the, the religion uh, beginning to spread. You've got the sacred texts, 
I think one of the, you know, almost like the Old Testament and the New Testament, you could say the Old Testament for banjo is Pete Seeger's book, you know? And then the, kind of like the New Testament is Earl's book. And then like biblical texts, which have been revised to the New English version and all that, you have Earl's new revised book, which a lot of people say, nah, don't go with that. You need to get the original. So there are these sacred texts. There are sacred histories like Bluegrass of History, like the book Boss Men that I've talked about. And I would venture to say that Masters of the Five String Banjo is achieving that sacred text status. What else does religion have? Well, you have relics. In a religion, you have relics. Certainly, Bill Monroe's F5 mandolin is a relic. Uh, Scruggs' banjo is probably a relic. Old national fingerpicks are becoming those sought-after relics, as are tortoiseshell picks, pre-war martins, herringbones. You know, these, uh, like Tony Rice's guitar, shot uh, the hole in it shot with a BB gun uh, when Clarence White owned it. That's, that is a bluegrass relic, almost a sacred relic of the, quote, religion of bluegrass. We have temples, such as the Ryman Auditorium. And the Ryman Auditorium, of course, once was a church. If you go in there, you sit in pews. There's an altar. That's the stage. You have a central symbolic uh, a, a symbol right in the center, and that's that WSM microphone stand. Which, of course, WSM is Bill Monroe's initials. Uh, you have, uh, you know, like lesser shrines and temples like the Station Inn, you know. So we have these same sorts of things. We have the hymnal, the, the hymnal and sacred songs. And I don't mean like gospel bluegrass. I mean these songs that are just the bluegrass standards. Mule Skinner Blues, Blue Moon of Kentucky, Bluegrass Breakdown, Foggy Mountain Breakdown, Jerusalem Ridge, My Rose of Old Kentucky, Little, Rose, <laughs> Little Georgia Rose, Rawhide, Kentucky Waltz, Earl's Breakdown. That's the hymnal. You also have denominations. Just like in, let's say, in Christianity, you have Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterians, uh, the Holiness, you got the Televangelists, the Tent Revivals, the Snake Handlers. I mean, there's all sorts of things that would fall under the heading of Christianity. Well, you have a lot of different divisions within bluegrass, you know, kind of like the Methodists and Baptists. That might be the, you know, like your middle of the road, traditional bluegrass folks. And then you got the people that are more like more uh, sticking to the original, um, closer to the original, perhaps uh, Spigma. If you if you know about Spigma, you might compare Spigma to IBMA. They're two bluegrass organizations. Spigma does not allow a band to be a member if if they use an electric bass. But IBMA, hey, electric bass is cool. So there's these divisions. You've got. Um, you know, almost like the mega church, you know, like the crystal cathedral type bluegrass thing. I would put Merle Fest. I mean, it's not really a bluegrass festival. And Doc and Merle Watson weren't bluegrass, but a lot of people think of it as some sort of bluegrass festival. Certainly have Spring Fest down in Swanee, Telluride. You know, those are sort of like the, the mega churches of bluegrass. 
you have the tent revival, you know, the, the tent revival, those are the picking barns. You know, I'm going to, there's a lot of similarities between these different divisions and types of, of bluegrass. And they're similar to things you see in religion. We also have sacred ground. That would, of course, be Bill Monroe's old home place in Rosine, Kentucky. And I would say that sacred ground, although most people have never visited there, if you've been in bluegrass, you probably have at least thought of making your pilgrimage to Mecca to see for your own self Jerusalem Ridge. And like many religions, it's turned into a worldwide movement. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I've been working back and forth trying to interview my friend over in Sweden, who's a bluegrass banjo player in Sweden. It's turned into a, a worldwide movement. It, it also has supernatural ideas, demons. I think Butch Robbins could probably talk about demons. He talks about it in his book. Not necessarily in these religious terms, but uh, miracles, trials. I mean, all these things that you would find in a typical Bible story, you can find by reading about bluegrass or by going out and experiencing it. It's almost, I guess what I'm saying is bluegrass may in some ways be a folk religion. And let me say this from the outset, that... This isn't the outset. I'm way into this. But let me say this, that many people have more than one religion. I think, you know, if you said, what religion are you? Oh, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Presbyterian. And, you know, they think, okay, that's my religion. But then I'm not saying everybody. Get, don't get me wrong here. I'm talking about some people. They may also have a religion of sports. And they religiously watch sports. I'm sure a lot of people were watching the Super Bowl. Uh, don't ask me who played in that or what the score was. I have no idea. I'm not a member of the Church of Sports. And there are divisions there. Basketball, football, soccer, baseball, college football, NASCAR. And some people are more devout followers of those quote-unquote religions than they are the religion that they show up on Sunday and throw a check in the collection plate. Don't call it religion, but it, it's similar. I think humans tend to organize, and they like religions. They like having a something to believe in. And what I'm saying is it's acceptable for people to have more than one, sometimes two or three. As long as you, you never, like, there are certain rules for belonging to a religion. You can't, I'm sure you can't be a Catholic and then pronounce that you're also a Buddhist. You know, I don't think they would accept that. But it's cool to be a Catholic and a bluegrass picker. But I'm saying maybe maybe bluegrass is a bit of a folk religion too. Um, anyway. Folk religion, it has evangelists. I think I am one of those sometimes. And anybody that gets the bluegrass bug sometimes turns into a bit of an evangelist, spreading the word about bluegrass. There are, bluegrass has its monks. 
I may be that sometimes here in the middle of the week when there's nothing going on and I'm just have no one to talk to. So I just think about bluegrass. Uh, bluegrass has its scribes, the people who write the stuff down. You know, you'll find people on the internet putting out tabs and uh, maybe not, maybe they don't do anything else or you don't know anything else about what they do, but man, they're cranking out the tabs. That would be a bluegrass scribe. You have bluegrass teachers, just like in religion. You have religious teachers, the old Sunday school teacher, who try to bring the new, the new folks along. I'm certainly one of those. And if you want to uh, scope out my teaching, just go to my website, bradleylaird.com. You have the artists and craftsmen. Religion is full of artists and craftsmen. Whether they're making stained glass or they're painting that the, the Lord's Supper or sculptors, music composers, you know, bluegrass has those things. We have our sermons. You're listening to one now. We have our feasts, holy days. Well, I don't know if we really have any holy days. That might be one that we don't have yet. Like all, all bluegrass people celebrate Bill Monroe's birthday or something. I don't know that we really have holy days. So maybe we need to add some holy days. Festivals. We certainly have our festivals. Um, one of the things that you find in folk religion often is trance, like trance states. And I've seen that for myself, uh, particularly at Springfest. Um, we have initiations. Not everybody has has been initiated, so I can't say much about initiations, but there are initiations that take place in the bluegrass realm. We certainly have meditation, which you might call practice. Practicing your religion, practicing your instrument. It's kind of a meditative type thing. Baptisms. You think about that. Do we are there such things in bluegrass? Sacred history, narratives of the characters, priests and high priests. We do have people who are have placed themselves on a pulpit or have been placed there by someone else who are the voice of bluegrass. You know, we have the money changers. Which, incidentally, Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers. I don't need to tell you that. I'm sure you know that. We have the money changers, and hey, I might be one of those sometimes when I'm trying to peddle my videos and ebooks. Uh, but they do exist in the bluegrass world. We have the scholars and the historians. I mentioned those books. We have the commentators. And that's not a regular potato. We have the, we have the people who... Just, they don't play bluegrass, they don't do bluegrass, but they've got an opinion about it. We've got those, we've got saints and sinners, superstitions. Think about the rattlesnake rattle inside your fiddle or mandolin. And there are other superstitions. We've got parables and stories. We've got the story of Bill Monroe whacking the lady with the Bible. Uh, it's hard to know what's true about that story, so I would put it in a parable category. We have all these things, symbols. We have denominations, in some cases possibly cults. We have practices. 
if you're going to have a religion, you have to have religious practices and doctrines. We have those. There is a doctrine for bluegrass. And snare drum is on the fringes of that doctrine, you know? Certainly an electric Telecaster played through a Marshall amp would be outside of the accepted practices of bluegrass. And our doctrine is the doctrine of reproducing the Bill Monroe. You ask somebody to define what I'll use Christianity. What is Christianity? You're going to get a lot of different answers. Just like if you ask someone to define bluegrass. But people are always trying, and they tend to divide up in these denominations and sects. S-E-C-T-S. And then there we also, like many religions, have associations and organizations. You know, churches sometimes, like the United Methodist Church, like the Missouri Synod of the Lutheran Church. Um... I'm sure I don't know lots of those associations, but they exist, and we've got them in bluegrass. We also have the charismatic leader, you know. We've got them. There's a few of them out there. We have just behaviors that you take on, you know, how you dress and how you behave at a jam session. We have these behaviors and worldviews and ethics and mythical figures like Uncle Penn. I'd put him in that mythical figure. More people know little stories about him or have heard about him in a song or a parable than they know anything real about the guy. He's He's gone up into that mythical figure category. Certainly Arnold Schultz is another one of those. Anyway, I don't know why I thought this would be interesting. And I guess I was just thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, while it's fresh on my mind, I might as well record it. After all, it is my podcast, and I can pretty much do whatever I want to with it. But I was thinking, why is this so? Why is this so? Why is bluegrass so similar to a religion? And it's not just bluegrass. So I thought I'd, well, I'd just look up. I knew from my own personal experience that I don't think today the traditional religion is as strong as it as it once was. Certainly, I'm speaking of the United States. So I thought, well, I'm just going to look up. What Are there some statistics about like people's religious beliefs? And I found this thing on the Gallup, Gallup Poll's website on religion. They had this chart there. And apparently, they've been taking this poll since 1948, all the way through 2017. And the question that they've asked in this poll is, what is your religious preference? Are you Protestant, Roman Catholic, Mormon, Jewish, Muslim, another religion, or no religion? And I looked at this. And so this almost mirrors the, the scope of Bluegrass, 1948. A few years after the start of Bluegrass, but pretty close. In 1948... I'm just going to look at the none, no religion. The people, the percentage of people that said they had no religion in 1948. And it has an asterisk. No, let me look, make sure I'm looking at the right column. None. It says 2%. 2% of the people reported 
in the United States that they had no religion. That means 98% said yes, although I think 3% said no answer. But the bulk of the people in 1948 said yes. 2% said I have no religion. Let's go to 1958. 2%. Let's go to 1968. Now, remember, Bluegrass Festival started up 65. We're really picking up steam by 1967. In 1968, 3% said no religion, reported that they had no religion. 1970, 3%. 1973, 5%. 1976, 6%. It's clearly climbing. And so is bluegrass. 19, that would be about when I got started. 1976, 6%. 1980, 7%. And they've got it for every year if you want to go look at this thing. I'll put a link to it on the show notes page. Uh, I forgot where I was. Uh, 1982, 8%. 1986, 9%. I'll just jump ahead. But what you see here is a trend of less traditional religious beliefs. But this is the inverse to the trend for the popularity of bluegrass, bluegrass festivals, etc. Certainly the number of people that are into it as participants, as active, you know, church-going participants of the Church of Bluegrass. 2001, 8% said they don't subscribe to any religion. 2002, 10% hit double digits. 2002, 10%. 2010, 14%. 2013, 15%. 2017, 20% of respondents said they don't have a religion. And maybe all I'm saying is, well, maybe they just switched religions. Maybe they just switched to the religion of sports or NASCAR or hot rods or that religion called Facebook. Maybe they just switched religions. And some of the folks may have switched over to the Church of Bluegrass. Anyway, I thought you guys might have fun with that little uh, mind trip. Anyway, thanks to everyone who has listened to the show shared it with their friends. If you would just tell one other person about the show, that would do a lot to help me down here on my end. And if you are wanting to learn to play an instrument, uh, check out my offerings over on bradleylaird.com. And I will put a link to this, this survey thing here on the show notes. Just go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to this episode, click that, and there'll be a link to this. Uh, these statistics, which I just thought were kind of interesting. Anyway, I'm not telling you to change your religion, but I just think it's fascinating how similar bluegrass can be to a religion, and that might explain why my son said this. Welcome to my world, where my dad thinks of nothing but bluegrass, bluegrass, and bluegrass. Crying holy unto the Lord. Crying holy unto the Lord. If I could, I surely would stand on the rock. Stand on the rock where Moses stood. 
Sinners run, sinners run and hide your face. Sinners run, sinners run and hide your face. Go run into the rock and hide your face. Rock right out, rock right out. No hiding place. Crying holy unto the Lord. Crying holy unto the Lord. If I could, I surely would stand on the rock, stand on the rock where Moses stood. Lord, I ain't no stranger now. No stranger now. Lord, I ain't no stranger now. No stranger now. I've been introduced to the Father and the Son, and I ain't. Lord, I ain't no stranger now. Crying holy unto the Lord. Crying holy unto the Lord. If I could, I surely would stand on the rock, stand on the rock where, where Moses stood. Where Moses stood.